Blog Talk Radio. Radio family. I'm your host, Kerry Clark, with BamaMag.com, joined in the studio by Thomas Watts of TouchdownAlabama.net, and our other partner in crime, Drew B. Armand of AlabamaIntel.com. As we come on to talk about a number of topics, uh, Alabama's great comeback in Baton Rouge, uh, National Basketball Signing Day has come and gone, fortunately, uneventfully in Tuscaloosa, and a preview, an in-depth preview from both Thomas Watts and Murph Baldwin of Saturday Down South of this weekend's clash against Mississippi State, a clash that if Bama plays its normal home game and we get at quarterback home Blake, I think everything will be fine, Judy Armand. I agree, Kerry, 100%. Um, I'm looking forward to the matchup. Uh, I think, you know, Alabama's, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're t- playing, paying too much attention to it, but a little bit of fuel to the fire yesterday, uh, you know, uh, well, I'm not really not moving up, getting jumped by TCU. And, uh, I, you know, and I've said this a million times, as far as this committee goes and the way they're voting, um, if a team has is, is got the same number of losses and beat another head-to-head, for the life of me, why you can have TCU ahead of Baylor, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I heard a partial explanation of the voting on Feinbaum today. It was it was kind of like listening to paint dry. Does that make yes. sense? Um, but, um, yeah, they, they claim they start with a clean slate every week and yada, yada, yada. Like, they don't remember how they voted the prior week. And uh, The thing is, though, we both know this. We all three know this. Oh yeah. Uh, if Alabama wins the rest of their games, it ain't gonna matter because right. you're gonna knock Mississippi State out because the committee clearly only wants one SEC team in the Final Four. So that being the case, Alabama simply needs to win their next four games, and and hopefully that fourth one is in Atlanta against either Missouri or Georgia or maybe even Florida. If crazy things have happened, but whoever the East sends, Alabama needs to be the West. Uh, but it all starts this Saturday, and we don't want to look. We don't want to look ahead because, of course, not. the number one team in the country is coming to Bryant Denny, and it's not the one that plays in Bryant Denny uh, every week. So <laughs> I say every week. We haven't had a home game in a month, and it feels uh, like two months. But it yeah, feels like two. It does, and, and now we have three straight home games on three straight Saturdays. Uh, two thirty this week, three o'clock uh, next week for homecoming against Western Carolina. And then 6.45 p.m. on ESPN, no Vernon Gary for the Iron Bowl. Uh, the fans shout hallelujah, and the writers shout, oh, crap, I'm going to be working until 1 a.m. <laughs> but if yeah. Alabama wins, it'll be well worth it. Well worth it. Oh, 
No doubt, no doubt. Um, you know, and I, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, you know what happens in the matchup against Mississippi State. I I think they're playing a good football. I don't, I'm not sure they're playing as good a football as they were playing early, but that's the you know it's going to be it's kind of a marathon this deal the whole season, and so they'll be ready for Alabama. I'm sure. You know, I, I think Dak is a little banged up, but he'll be healthy enough. There's been a lot of said about this. I was on another show this afternoon, and they were they were asking me about you know the the uh, the, the mobile QB and Alabama has had some trouble with mobile quarterbacks, and there's no doubt about that. But the the most thing that Alabama's had trouble with is the hurry up no huddle, and really Mississippi State's not one of those. Uh, they they do that a little bit, but what they're usually trying to do is more of what Dan Mullen and Urban Meyer have been doing at Florida, and now you know for Utah then Florida. Uh, or I should say Bowling Green, Utah, then Florida, and now uh, Urban at Ohio State and Dan Mullen is six year at Mississippi State. But they're more uh, quarterback. They, they they want a big, strong QB. They want to run him like a, like a fullback almost. And then they want to kind of try to – they want to spread you out, run the football, and then throw it over your head. And so Dak Prescott's improved as a passer since last year. There's no doubt about that. He was very limited last year, really did not play against Alabama, so he's looking forward to the challenge. But Alabama, in his younger days, his first couple of years, has some success when he played against the Tide. So it's going to be interesting to see. Mississippi State's got their best set of weapons that they've had since coming to Bryant-Denny Stadium. But the thing is, I think Alabama's improved a lot as a team, and I think you saw a championship heart in finding a way to win in Red Stick last Saturday night. I think you did, and you really – you saw it from two guys. I think the two guys I was most proud of were Blake Sims and Adam Griffith. Right. Uh, Adam shook off an, an early miss where he popped one off the upright uh, to make two consecutive field goals, uh, right. and one of them was extremely clutch to get into overtime. But that would not have been possible had Blake Sims not taken the team down the field with 50 seconds to go to get to get Adam in, in position. And on one of those, now Blake made some great throws on those drives, including a drop by Amari Cooper, who became the school's all-time yardage receiving leader and single-season leader in catches and, and, and receiving yardage. He set three records. <laughs> but he dropped a pass on the last drive. It could have been crucial, but it was not because Blake made a play with his feet. Uh, it was almost McElroy-esque. Uh, Blake is five times the athlete Greg McElroy is, but there was a play in Atlanta a few years back where Greg danced on the sidelines and got a first down. Well, Blake was able to use his athleticism uh, to get a first down, and it was huge to keep that drive going. And uh, Christian Jones made a big play on that drive, one that that was just excellent. And uh, I don't care what anybody says, he caught that ball. And uh, DeAndrew White came up big not only on the catch to set Adam up, but also on the catch in overtime. And then who will ever forget the epic call by Lane Kiffin to throw to Brandon Green for the first time in a game for 24 yards to the one, and he dang near scored. I was I was trembling with fear they were going to strip him, but they did not. Uh, that that was as good a call in a clutch situation as I've seen in a very long time, Drew. It was, and and, and I know uh, I think you and Thomas will probably understand the term I'm using here, but. Until the end of time, that's going to be Billy Bob's. And <laughs> that uh, that was that's uh, that should be the name of that play, uh, you know. Because my friend Brian Ritchie, who I was watching the game uh, with a crew of my friends, he he noticed it first as far as the formation. He goes, "Is that Cameron Robinson in the slot?" 
and I said, yes, it is. They've done, they did that with Barry Jones a little bit. And he turned around and said, you know, throw it to me, throw it to me, throw it to me. Everybody turned and looked at him. Brandon Green flips out, and you know, in the uh, over the middle, and you know, a great, well designed play. Brandon never caught a pass in his life. My, my friends didn't even know who caught it, and I was like, oh my lord, that's Brandon Green. He's never caught a pass before ever, and uh, it was a great, well designed play. I, you know, I'm gonna be honest. Thomas and I were texting throughout this game, Kerry, and he will talk. I'll have him bring him in just a second to talk about this. But the only other game this year where I was totally frustrated with the play calling. Uh, was Arkansas. I felt like that was a poor plan. Uh, Ole Miss, we just got away from what we were doing well, which was running right at them. But I felt like Arkansas was not, you know, I thought it was too conservative. And I, to be honest about it, though, this past week I felt like it was the opposite. I felt like Alabama abandoned the run. I don't know why they didn't. I'm going to bring Thomas in now. But it drove me insane to be second and one and pass sack. Uh, third down and one incomplete. I just did not understand – for the life of me, what they were doing as far as play calling. But I will say this before bringing Thomas in. In the overtime, that was the best uh, series of play calls by Kiffin. And in the clutch, much like Blake Sims uh, got it done, so did Lane Kiffin, and Alabama survived in advance. Absolutely. And I just, I'm going to echo that sentiment. I felt like going into this game, going into down in red stick, you're not going to be able to throw very well in LSU. Yes, right. LSU is going to give you some looks, but they're a great passing defense for a reason. They have, you know, Murph said it last week, they have studs all over the place. So why challenge that 45 times? Yes, Kendall Beckwith is a very good middle linebacker, but Alabama was doing damage, even when Beckwith was on the field for LSU. And it was just like you watched Alabama continuously fall out of rhythm when in many cases it's like they want to build their rhythm off of a couple of solid runs. I mean, it's, it's Alabama is still the same thing, the same thing they have been. Yes, Lane Kiffin's doing some more spread stuff, which is part of the evolution of the West Coast offense. But it was very frustrating to watch as a fan. And, I, I, you know, the, the, the overtime was brilliantly called, absolutely brilliantly called, executed very well. And that, that's to Kiffin's credit. But at the same time, I feel like the game plan that was for LSU should be what they're going to do against Mississippi State, which we'll get into. Because Mississippi State, if Mari Cooper doesn't have 200 yards receiving, I'll probably eat my shoe because he's just going to be running free 24-7 on that team. But anyway, we're still talking about red stick. But I, I was disappointed with the play calling. But I, at the same time, Alabama won. It's survive in advance. Take your money and run, quite frankly. But right. if you had played if you had played a drinking game that was called run the damn ball, somebody would have died. <laughs> somebody would have died of alcohol poisoning. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, I agree. Because that. all over the southeast, there were Alabama fans screaming those those four words with good reason. And and let me say this about the overtime play calling: as great as the call to Brandon Green was, the touchdown to the Andrew was not called by Lane Kiffin. Right, it, he called a design run. And Blake checked out because he saw the opportunity to run a legal pick. And I did say a legal pick. Yeah. There was no contact involved. It was a, yes, it was Lane's play, but it was Blake's call of Lane's play. Lane was going to have him run the ball uh, because they were running the ball with a lot of success in the overtime, even after the stupid penalty. And let me say this about the penalty. I was was quite upset with Leon Brown. Uh, 
But the more I think oh. about it, Austin Shepard said that they could have called any five of our linemen for trying to push Brandon Green in the end zone. He said all five of us are there. They just chose to call it on Leon. So that took a little bit of the uh, – but the offsides Leon had was totally ignorant. Oh, it was, it the was deal with the deal, the personal foul. Austin Shepard said they could have called it on any of our five linemen, uh, and that made me feel a little less upset with with Leon. To be fair, well, and, and that's what kind of irritated me about Les Miles complaining about the officiating. I mean, because well, Bedell, Steve Shaw said Les Miles straight. Oh, I know. Well, and Vidal Alexander, you know, they were complaining about that call, but I mean, we they ended up calling one on us in the overtime. Then the false start, we overcame both of those. We did. Uh, they were they were complaining about some of the, uh, the 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 non calls they felt like in the secondary, but I thought it was a pretty well officiated game. I will say this: they might have had a small, you know, point as far as a reason to complain, as far as you know Nick Perry and the overtime. But I'll say this. And I know it's kind of, you know, happenstance and it's, it happened a long time ago. But I told some people after it happened, it was really close anyway. And so they could have called it on, you know, uh, at the, in, the, in, in the last drive of regulation, DeAndre White got hit a little bit early and they didn't call it. But all I'll they say was, is this. It would have been easier to call it on Cyrus on the fourth down than it would have Nick on the yeah. I thought I thought Nick made a great play. And the thing about it is, is but like I told some people, well, that's for 2004. You know, oh, when they tackled Keith Brown. Yeah. Oh, when Corey God. Webster just tackled oh. We're about to go up 17-6, to six and they that just was, tackle him, and the referee yeah. looks right at it and doesn't even call it. So who cares? We won that the game. That was the definition of Shula era, that ref. And then Saban, you know, uh, yeah. that's what well, Saban was at LSU. But, uh, uh, yeah, but hey, you know what? The, the way they played, and, and the last play of the game, uh, there was a lot of whining by LSU coaches and fans. But that's a situation where I take my hat off to the referee for letting them play. And, and, and here's why. Uh, yeah, there was some contact by Cyrus, but there was some contact by Dupree as well. Okay? Yeah. They, they, they were scrapping pushing each other, pushing and shoving, even when the ball was in the air. So when both guys are doing it, you don't just throw a flag and say pass interference on the defense. You leave the flag, you leave the flag in your pocket and let the players decide the ball game. And I salute the back judge that did that. I salute him. And not just because Alabama won. Uh, I, I salute him for letting them play football and not, you know, not putting the dress. The, the receivers already have dresses on. They didn't need a ball gown on that play. Well, and then the thing, the thing is, you know, it, 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 I felt like it was a pretty well-officiated ball game. But the thing, LSU can only blame themselves. They, were, they played to their strength for most of the game until the overtime and they panicked. And they started throwing the ball down. I, of course, it didn't help. But they had a well-designed play on first down that was dropped. But Alabama had a lot of drops too. But the bottom line is, I thought they were going to try to run the ball until we stopped them, but they didn't do it. And to Alabama's credit, they made the plays. But I'll say this: after and I and I've made fun of Les Miles and all this, but he has an excellent coaching staff. And I, the thing I respect about him is his teams compete and they they play to who they are. And they didn't do anything Alabama didn't expect. They, they were physical, and they tried to run the ball. Alabama did a pretty good job against the run, no doubt about it, but they did make some plays. And I got mad for Leonard Fournette for taking the kind of hit he took on the kickoff return, A, not fumbling, and then, B, playing in the overtime. And C, getting up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the kids showed mad toughness. I got a lot. Of, and then I think the committee and I'm and Danny Cannell, the clown, and – Joey Galloway and these morons. I'm going to call them morons. 
that are that basically talk out of both sides of their mouth. They talk about the week going up to the game. Well, Alabama needs to get past this big test and red stick. Then when Alabama does well, it wasn't a pretty win. Uh, LSU's not that good. Blah blah. Let me tell everybody something that's listening to this show. If LSU went to Utah, they'd burn it to the ground. Okay, they would beat the holy hell out of Utah. No doubt. And they and what did LSU do three years ago to Oregon? They beat the hell out of Oregon. Okay. No so you guys get a clue. Quit, quit and stop your SEC bias. If you know anything about football, you'd understand it. And quit trying to just create controversy. That's all you're doing. And I'll say this to Joey Galloway. I wish he was listening to this show. We will play Ohio State wherever you want, and they will be embarrassed. They, the whole Big Ten is a joke. None of that, that whole league deserves to be shut out. Michigan State laid an egg, and I have a lot of respect for their program. But Ohio State is not a top eight team in the country, not even close to a Final Four team. Joey Galloway saying he would take Ohio State in a neutral field over Alabama shows how ignorant he is. Rant over. Well, I Uh, wanted to jump in real quick about the college football playoff. And since we're kind of ranting or venting some spleen, I don't care that Alabama's number five. That doesn't bother me. You know, when Alabama's in, we all agree. I I think that's... That's kind of the chant of the Alabama nation right now. I have a huge problem with Florida State getting dropped one by Oregon, being dropped to third when they're undefeated and jumped by Oregon. And on the surface, when Jeff Long explained it, he said that what he said made sense. Their strength, their schedule's been better, their body of work's better. But then he said something that really got under my skin. And he said, well, during basically what he said during their Arizona loss. There are a bunch of injuries, and now Arizona is number 14. I'm just like, hold on a minute. So there is a part of the college football playoff committee mandate that says key injuries are going to be taken into account when they make this decision. And Oregon did have a bad run of injuries. But essentially what they said is because of extenuating injury circumstances, we're going to forgive Oregon's loss. Well, how do you define extenuating injury circumstances? Because I bet if you go up to an Alabama fan and you say, hey, Alabama fan, Kenyon Drake tore his, his ankle up so bad that Ole Miss players were running away from the scene in horror as he was screaming on the field after he did it. Then Alabama lost a starting offensive lineman to another injury. How is that not in, extenuating injury circumstances and Oregon is? I think – the fact that they used that part of the mandate the way that they did is a really slippery slope because I would be willing to bet, again, if you asked an Alabama fan, they would consider that extenuating. But if you asked uh, hell, a Washington fan, they'd be like, eh, kind of just how you play football. And that, I have a problem with that when you can't say with any sort of empirical certainty that this is a big deal and this isn't. And I think that's a terrible way to go about it, and it really opens the door for, oh, crap, what's going to happen now? That's how I took it personally. Well, I, I agree with that, and I'll let Kerry chime in, but I 100% agree. Um, I think I, – because Kenyon Drake was a huge part of the game plan against Ole Miss. If he plays in that game, he'd already been an impact player. They ran it and raved about what he did against Florida. Then it was a big play early. He could have easily been the difference in a six-point game. And so now they want to say, well, hey, Oregon's got three offensive linemen back. That stuff. And then, you know, but, you know, you have to – I just still think if they're all trying all they can to make sure the SEC doesn't get two teams in, 
And the bottom line is, the SC, it's just like Danny Cannell. He, of course, I think he admitted later he was inebriated, but saying that, that, uh, that Louisville would win the SEC East. Are you even beyond serious? I mean, uh, Bobby Petrino couldn't couldn't beat Nick Saban at Arkansas. He couldn't. I mean, he beat LSU maybe one time, but he was a perennial two-loss coach who, uh, you know, never you know never could win a division. And the teams never played good enough defense. I know they ran and raved about Louisville had the number one ranked defense in America. Against what? You know what I'm saying? So I just don't. I, and I think this LSU team has improved a heck of a lot. Uh, they since they played Auburn, they got a lot of young players. It'll be interesting to see how they fit, they finish. But their main deficiency was they didn't have great quarterback play. Auburn was very fortunate with that. But uh, the rest of their football team, they were very solid. And uh, they're going to be – they should be dangerous down the stretch if they can refocus. I guess what the committee is looking at, and, and I'd love to hear both of you guys' input, is does Alabama really have a quality win yet? It's hard to win in red stick, I admit it, but that's now a three-loss Peach Bowl type team. Uh, yes. By the time we play Auburn, we're either going to hand in their third loss or their fourth loss. Alabama, the West Virginia win has lost all of its luster. I'm sorry. Yes, it has. That's true. So that leaves one chance to get a quality win, a real quality win, uh, and that's this Saturday at 2.30. And I think that's what the committee is looking at. Now, some people think that with the, with the fact that the committee starts a quote-unquote clean slate, a blank piece of paper when they begin their voting every week, some people think, Drew and Thomas, that if Alabama does run the table, including a win over – I'm going to say Georgia because I'm now no longer convinced Missouri can run the table. But if Alabama does run the table, including a win over, let's say, Georgia and Atlanta, there's a scenario where Alabama gets the one seed. Oh, well, it, yeah, it could happen. It could happen. They're five now. That's five weeks from now. Oh, and, and I will – let me tell you something. And the importance of getting the one is because more fans will go to New Orleans to watch Alabama than they will Pasadena. Fact. Well, that's true, and and let me say something that I agree with something Thomas said earlier, and it bothered me too. Uh, it more even more so than Alabama, uh, you know, not going into the top four. I thought they would be fourth, but I, you know, and don't get me wrong, I've been a huge critic of their program and Jameis Winston and all this other things, but you cannot, even no matter who they've played, you cannot j- jump Oregon over Florida State. They're the, they're the defending national champs, and they're still undefeated. That's I agree with that. I agree with that. That's, that's, that's fine. That's fine logic. That that that's just <laughs> dumb. I mean, because or and then they're going to say, well, Oregon lost because of injuries. Well, then Alabama can say, well, they lost to Ole Miss because Kenyon Drake was hurt. If injuries are part of football, and you got to step up. Alabama and, lost to Ole Miss because O.J. Howard held at the twenty-yard line. Exactly. So oh. exactly. And penalties they play a part too. Alabama was fixing the score, guys. Yeah, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. And the thing that I like best about Blake Sims, Kerry, is he has looked rattled in a couple of ball games. But when he had to take Alabama down to score, when they were down 13-7 against Arkansas, he took them down to score. When he was against Ole Miss, he was in the process, as you said, of taking them down to score before the penalty. And I don't think it, we everybody thought we were going to score before that penalty set everything back. And then he still threw a pretty good ball to O.J. Howard in the end zone. And then what I liked about it is he he took Alabama down the field 
against LSU to get the tying field goal and then won it in overtime with his best ball of the day to DeAndre White on a, as you said, on a play where he checked off. I like his clutch ability. I think he, when he has to absolutely pull it together, he does. And I think that's a tra- a great trait to have. I mean, th- th- this 2014 LSU win was just almost a carbon copy of 2012. I many mean, ways, many ways. In, in many ways. There was and, a great breakdown by Andrew Gribble on L.com proving that very point. Yes, yes. And I, and I just think, you know, Blake did a great job staying poised and leading the team. And now, And now they just need to cut it loose against Mississippi State. Uh, I know they're going to be a little bit nicked up, but I think, you know, uh, TJ will be healthy enough to go. And you're just going to have to – it's part of it. I know they're come, coming down a – a tough, you know, uh, physical win over LSU, but now there's no excuses. You've got them coming into your house, Mississippi State, and you've got to take them out. They may be the number one team in America, but you have you, you have had a lot of success against them. Have not lost against them since 2007, so you, there should still be a lot of confidence. And uh, our football team is this football team has played their best football at home, and so you just have to take the opportunity and go with it. And that's what Alabama needs to do. And the crowd, we know they're going to do this, but the crowd has to stay loud the whole game. I know they will yes. because they, they know what's on the line. It's, everything's on the line. Yeah, uh, everything's there's on no the margin line. for error. Uh, any, any little thing you can do to even cause one false start on State is big. Um, yeah, I mean, anything, yeah. And, and, you know, State's getting Jamie on back this week. They're going to have some of their weapons they hadn't been having. That's that's They'll be covering the scouting reports later. It, it's you know, State has, in my opinion, one quality win. And, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> no offense, State fans, if there are several of you listening, their non-conference schedule was it's horrible. God, awful. I mean, and, I, I'm an and, and they're 9-0 and with one quality win. One right. quality win. Yeah, so, I, I salute them for being undefeated, and I don't have a problem with them being number one. It, it, if anything, it helps Alabama that they're number one. But – and it is the best state team that Alabama's played in many, many years, uh, a lot of years, maybe since John Bond was sporting the mullet back in 1980. But a, a, a lot of times for us, for us state, when, he, when Alabama fumbled on the goal line and lost. But uh, they're a very – they're a very good team. Yes. But in my – you know, in my pedestrian eyes, they're a very beatable team. Well, and, yeah, uh, I'm glad we have Murph on second hour yeah. because Murph wrote a column that I read uh, just this morning about that very fact, uh, and he'll break that down further when we get him on. But yes, they're very good, and, and all all props to them for being number one. That's great, but don't think for one second that they're not beatable at our house. Oh, there's no doubt, and uh, I think. It's going to come down to Alabama needs to play clean. They don't need to turn it over. And they need to force Dak into some mistakes. As you've seen, Kerry, he's thrown more interceptions than Blake Sims. He's been uh, prone to mistakes. And the first thing they got to do is stop Robinson. He's the he's the kind of the, the, the heartbeat of their offense with Dak. And they've got to stop the run. They've got to keep – they've got to mush it up, play some zone, keep everybody in front of them. And uh, just and make uh, Dak Prescott take him apart, and let's see what happens. I I would like to see them challenge him to do that. They've got to keep him in the pocket, as you said, and as Coach Saban said, they can't let him scramble. But if they can keep him in the pocket, 
I, what I would do with him is I, I would play him exactly like they played Pebo in the 09 championship game in Atlanta for SEC. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd do because uh, that was arguably the best defense anybody ever played on Tebow that day. And that's the kind of game plan. And those defensive coaches, for the most part, are still here. Uh, so, hey, that and I, I feel like, uh, you know, I never really go into a game thinking Alabama's going to lose anyway under this regime. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one thing that, that Saban has brought back to me that I probably hadn't felt since mid-stalling era. Oh, yeah. But, but uh, I felt it all the time when Bryant was there because he was Bear Bryant. But it, 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 it seems like that now you can walk into the stadium every week, no matter what stadium it is, feeling like Alabama's going to win. And that's something that had been missing for a while, and it's back, and I love that it's back. And it's, nothing's changed this week. I, I go into this ball game feeling that Alabama's going to win. Uh, I, I don't have a gut feel yet for what kind of margin they're going to have, but I just feel like that, uh, you, you know, Dan Mullen can sit in this press conference and make jokes about Alabama having more five stars on the bench than he has on his team and all that. But you know what? When it gets between the lines in a close game, uh, it's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. And I feel like that – I feel very good that Alabama's going to pull this off this week. Well, I feel good about it as well. And I got to feel like Coop is going to bounce back. He had his worst game. Uh, he had four or five drops. Hadn't really had many all year. Uh, he should have had, you know, 12, 13, 14 catches in the football game. Uh, but he, you know, he had several. But I'll say this. We've only talked about it a little bit. I was very proud of Christian Jones, who I've been critical of. Came through when he had to. Yes, he came through. He had three or four catches in the game. Had the biggest catch in the game. And he caught the football, and he got up quickly, showed it to the official. And I give the official credit for, for seeing it as well. Uh, there was no panic there. And then they got up and got, got it snapped quickly. I just felt like the whole two-minute drill was handled properly. I probably would have tried to run one more play to score a touchdown, but I can't really blame them. There was only seven seconds left. They put a lot of faith in Adam Griffith, and he came through. You've got to be very proud for him, as Kerry has already said. Uh, and then, once again, we haven't mentioned his name, but I felt like he was a huge difference in the game, and that is J.K. Scott. Oh, my gosh. Chris Moore, 2.0. Exactly. Hopefully even better, and that would be something, because Chris Moore, if they, they've had one punter in the Hall of Fame and Ray Guy, and Chris Moore would probably be right below him. <laughs> Drew, why don't you bring on our first guest of the evening? we got him on hold now. Absolutely. Okay, we're honored again to be joined. He's joined us several times this season, and uh, – he, he he's going to have some excellent thoughts on this matchup. Uh, we, I'm joined by my partner on AlabamaIntel.com, William Redfish Barger, former Alabama offensive lineman. Uh, William, welcome to BAM's radio again tonight in lieu of uh, the biggest matchup thus far of the season. And who would have thought it would be Mississippi State? I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, enjoyed listening to the 60 seconds or however long it was of y'all's thoughts from, from the LSU game as well. Yeah, it was it was a heck of a matchup. I guess before we start that, William, I'd like to have your thoughts on that for our audience. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you, you thought going into the matchup that it was going to be a tough one for Alabama. I think you thought they had a good shot at winning, but that uh, LSU matched up really favorably with Alabama in a lot of ways with the way less – I know you've – been a very very uh you've been i know a lot of people think you uh, kind of a goofy guy but you've always admired miles and his program but kind of give your thoughts on the football game 
Well, and, and, you know, I think I need to clarify that. You know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, be recruited for a year and a half by Les Miles when he was at Michigan and I was a junior and a senior in high school. So my, you know, my feelings on him are, you know, go way back before he was ever even a head coach. Um, and I do think he's a lot better football coach than people give him credit for. You know, I, I, I'm kind of proud of him in a sense that, you know, everybody felt like that program was going to fall apart after the, the saving recruit cycled out of it. And he's done an excellent job of keeping the talent level up. Um, you know, that, that game has become my favorite game of the year. Um, you know, certainly since, you know, Nick Saban's been in Alabama, I just love the intensity of the rivalry. It's, it's two, you know, common teams that I think are constructed in the same manner. There's some, you know, some, some differences, you know, schematically on defense with what they do versus what Nick and Kirby try and do. But uh, I just think it's, you know, the, the way I like to see a football game played. You know, a lot of people thought that that was a, you know, a snooze fest Saturday night, but, you know, man, any time you can see a, you know, a couple of football teams, one of them, you know, run the football 40-something times and, um, you know, it's going to overtime. And, and I did feel like it was going to be a close game, Drew, but certainly never imagined it going into overtime. Um, but but I, I saw some interesting things that caught my eye, the, the first one being um, I, I would like to see – uh, Scott Cochran and, and uh, Bobby Williams starved Brandon Green to death in the offseason and get him down to about the 270 range. I think they may have finally found their answer uh, for an inline blocking tight end. Um, I saw him do some good things as a blocker, and you know, certainly the uh, he did nothing uh, to embarrass himself on that big scene pass there to set up the game time field goal. Um, I saw Wayne Kiffin, I think, attempt to evaluate and look at our Darius Stewart maybe as a possible replacement in the Kenyon Drake mold. Um, I'd like to see him explore that a little bit further this week and the rest of the season. I think he's a guy that's a dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands and can do a lot of nice things as a wide receiver. You know, also as a guy that you can maybe use as a you know, a guy on reverses and, you know, some, some stuff he can do out of the backfield as well. He was a wildcat quarterback in high school. Um, you know, just a lot of positives that came out of that game. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have, you know, expressed displeasure over Alabama's inability to establish a running game, you know, against LSU. But, but I've said all year, this is not the offensive line you know, nor with the situation at tight end, you know, where Alabama fans, you know, need to expect this team to come out on a Saturday. And this is certainly not the front seven to try and do it with again this week, um, where you come out there and beat your chest and say, hey, we're fixing to run slant 36 and stop us if you can. Um, you know, this, this unit up front is just not put together with the type of players that, that you can do that with. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, after having a up and down kind of erratic performance for uh, three and a half quarters, I thought Blake Sims answered the bell when he was called upon. And, and you know, you, you touched on, you know, how fluid and comfortable that he looked, you know, in the two-minute offense. Um, I certainly don't ever want to see Alabama become a hurry-up, no-huddle team all the time. But 
you know, guys, uh, maybe you need to look into that. I think Blake has looked more comfortable when they've gone up-tempo and no huddle for the most part of the year. Um, you know, can't say enough good things about the way that defense responded to who I think's got the best offensive line in the SEC. Uh, I thought the, you know, that Bo Davis and Kirby Smart did a great job of, of rotating um, the front seven guys in and out, keeping them fresh. You know, who would have ever thought Jaron Reed and, and Reggie Ragland would have combined for 29 tackles uh, in a football game, but, but they did. Um, you know, the, the one criticism, I guess, that I do have, and it's something that's bothered me a little bit all year, is I wish, you know, Kirby and Nick would get a little bit more creative and unpredictable with their blitz packages. Um, you know, it seems like they've gotten into a habit this year of, you know, sending the same two or three guys, you know, and flooding both A-gaps when they do blitz. And nine times out of ten, they don't get there. But the biggest statistic that's jumped out to me after the LSU game is, you know, at, at the Tennessee game, Alabama tied their 2013 sack total for the whole whole season. Um, against LSU, they surpassed that and really have a legitimate chance with, you know, three regular season ball games left to go um, to get up there into the low 30 range of, of a sack total. And when you get into the low 30s, you know, that's getting up there around averaging three, three and a half sacks a game, and that's doing a pretty good job of getting after the quarterback. William, based on what you've seen of Mississippi State thus far uh, on TV or however you may have seen them on DVR, tape, what have you, uh, looking at all three phases of the game, what do you feel like Alabama's got to do to win the ball game this Saturday? Well, you know, first of all, um, I just don't feel like that Dak Prescott is the kind of quarterback that, that Nick and Kirby struggle with. You know, he, he's a lot more of a power-running zone quarterback, kind of in the mold of a Tim Tebow. Um, you know, he's a lot more apt to run you over than, than run by you. And, you know, I, I think that, that what he tries to do when he runs the football plays more into the favor of what Alabama tries to do with their defense. Um, you know, the, the, the guys that, that Nick and Kirby struggle with are the Johnny Manziels and the Nick Marshalls you know, that have that game-changing speed where they can get out there on the edge and, and, and run by you. Um, you know, I, I think that once again, you know, Dan Mullen has made him too much of a focal point in the running game. Um, I think he's taken too many licks. Again, this year, you know, let's hit the rewind button and remember that he was not available to play versus Alabama last year because of you know, the amount of licks that he took last year. Um, it looks to me like he's you know, been hiding a knee injury since the Auburn game. Um, you know, I, I think he's a, a, a decent passer, but about the time that I started noticing him coming up limping a lot versus Auburn, um, he started to throw the football to the other team, uh, you know, two or three times a game. Um, you know, to me, I think the key for Alabama's defense is shutting down Robinson, the running back. Um, you know, he's the guy that, that I think has the ability to, you know, hurt you a little bit. He kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Michael Dyer when he was a freshman at Auburn. You know, the kid's got a lot of toughness. Um, gra- 
great, great balance. I mean, I've seen him extend some plays this year where, you know, 99% of all the rest of the running backs in college football would have gone down. And, you know, he's got such a great low center of gravity and balance, he's been able to keep going. Um, you know, they've got one matchup problem at wide receiver with, with the six foot five Duranya Wilson. Um, you know, I would think that Eddie Jackson will have an easier time of matching up with him versus Cyrus Jones. But, you know, this is the best front seven that, that Alabama has seen um, so far this year. Um, completely different than the front seven that they faced last year. I mean, that last week, excuse me. You know, John Chavis constructs his front seven on defense um, with length and speed. Um, Jeff Collins has constructed this one with just massive defensive linemen and inside linebackers that are very physical. Um, you know, again, I don't think this is the, the week to come out and try and pound the ball down their throats. Uh, I think they're going to have to loosen them up with some screens and some passes uh, to get their, their safeties out of the box and worried about playing in coverage. Um, and, again, I think Jeff Collins does something very unique and something that's you know kind of outside the box from a um, personnel and a um, schematic standpoint is he plays two full front sevens on defense. Um, and I think that's why you've seen so many teams have a lot of success moving the football between the 20s on Mississippi State. You know, if you look at their total defense numbers, they're way down the list. But if you look at what they do in the red zone, you know, they're in the top 15 in the country. And, and I think it's interesting, and what he does is, you know, on one series he'll have his first-team defensive line in with the backup linebackers. And he's got a set number of reps that I think he only allows each unit to take prior to being substituted out. Um, it, it's somewhere around 13 or 14. Um, and, and then, you know, on the next series you'll have, you know, the second-team D-line and the first-team running uh, linebackers. Uh, but the minute you cross into that red zone, um, whatever backups are in, get taken out, and the, the starters are all in there together. Um, but but I think it's a, an interesting matchup, and I heard your thoughts on it, you know, when I was on hold, Kerry, and I agree with you. You know, I might be sitting here next Sunday just like I was after the old Miss game scratching my head, but I just don't see you know, a lot of things out of this football team that concerns me. Well, and I, I know they – that at Mississippi State is the one thing looking at their defense. I mean, they have struggled against the pass as far as defending it, but I think they've, with Preston Smith and those guys, they've got a pretty good pass rush. Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, Alabama as far as being able to protect Blake Smith? I think it'll be good that he's a mobile quarterback. They're going to need to move the pocket. But uh, I still, even though their pass rush is pretty good, just I'm, I've, I've watched Mississippi State pretty closely. And uh, I see Alabama being able to move the football on them if they if they mix it up and are balanced. And I think the Blake Sims can have a big game throwing the ball, especially if they can get off to a quick start. If they've been uh, if they've you know been apt to do at home thus far. Yeah, I mean I'll tell you, Drew, they're they're front seven people. I mean they've got some guys that can run um, at the outside linebacker spot, but really they're they're down linemen. Um, and I want you to remember. Um, the the Auburn game last year for Alabama, you know, their down linemen are big guys, um, yes. but they don't change directions very well. They don't play in space very well. What I mean by that is 
you know, if one of them has a beeline on the quarterback and the quarterback puts a move on them laterally, they they don't have the best change of direction skills that I've seen out of out of defensive linemen. They are big, they are strong at the point of attack. I really question whether Alabama's offensive line can consistently get enough push to be successful running the football, you know, without wearing them down early, you know, like you said, mixing it up with, you know, some passes. And, and you know, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, Blake Sims roll out ten times in the first half, some zone read stuff, um, you know, to get mm-hmm. those guys running around a little bit. You know, they remind me a lot of, uh, you know, Ed Stinson and, and – uh, uh, Pagan and, and those defensive ends, those big body, three hundred pound, you know, five technique defensive ends that Alabama had last year. And don't get me wrong, they're very good football players, but playing in space and having to deal with a, an athlete like Blake um, that is so fluid and smooth and can cut on a dime, that's going to be something that I think they'll struggle with when, when the situation comes up. Absolutely. This as a as a recruiting analyst, William, do you feel like Alabama might have misevaluated to run you, Wilson? You know, Kerry, I'm I'm always real quick to point the finger when I do do that. Um, but but in this case, um, I think they probably made the right call. Uh, I mean, you know, the fact that he only played football his senior year of high school and. You know, he had a good season, but it wasn't like when you went and watched him play. In fact, I did. I went and watched him play over at, uh, oh, God, uh, Lawson Field and here in Birmingham. I went and watched him play Huff. And, you know, he had one big, you know, bomb touchdown that he caught, but the rest of the time he kind of loafed around when the ball wasn't coming his way and he had no interest in blocking. And so, um, I certainly could understand if you go back and look at the, the wide receivers that Alabama took in 2012, or excuse me, the 13 class. Um, I, I don't, you know, lay any blame at their feet for it. I think it was a risky take. This, in this instance, it's worked out very well for Dan Mullen and Deron Wilson. Um, but, you know, it, it was a risky proposition at the time. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, if there's somebody on on, uh, you know, two guys that are on out on Mississippi State's team that I feel like maybe that they missed on and they could have gotten both of these kids, that's Beniquez Brown and Will Red. Yeah, I I completely agree with those, William. I I know uh, we did a story on Beniquez Brown and and Intel's early days, and I was really high on him at Florence High School. He played for Alvin Briggs. I thought he could – he was a running back on offense, but I really thought defensively he could be a, well, an outside linebacker, a strong safety, most likely an outside linebacker when he got bigger. And I think uh, he was turned into a solid player, no doubt about that. But um, I, I guess um, I, the, ne- the next question is uh, for you is what do you uh, – obviously uh, this, is, this is a huge win for Alabama as far as uh, a gut check against LSU. The, the big question is, much like Mississippi State in 2012, and then and then in 2013, near the end they ran out of gas against Auburn. Do you see these guys being able to emotionally be ready to play Saturday? And even though they will be a little beat up, uh, well, how do you see that that uh, that mental part of the game being as far as going into this matchup? Yeah, I mean that, that's always a concern when you get into November, um, you know, and especially after you know the the 
the, the fact that that game got over with so late, players didn't get back um, to the dorm in their apartments until after 2 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning. Um, you know, the, the rest factor becomes a, a deal. Um, but, you know, I think Alabama does probably as good, if not the best job in the country of, you know, rehabilitating their players, you know, making sure that they're, they're hydrated, their nutrition's in check. Um, you know, with this GPS technology that they're using, um, you know, you know, Nick has a, a chart, basically, and when he gets the numbers every morning, if a player's run a certain amount of, of steps on a Wednesday, if it exceeds what the, the, you know, the medical staff and the strength and conditioning and nutrition staff have projected for that particular player, then they take the rest of the day off. Um, so they do a great job of, of making sure the guys are fresh. Um, you know, this is a, a home game at Bryant Denny Stadium. It's the number one team in the country. You know, I think some of these kids that, that have come to Alabama in the last couple of years and and maybe, you know, during the recruiting process felt like they were going to play for the number one team in the country. I'm sure this is something that's, you know, stuck in their craw. You know, they, they want to get back what they had when they got here. Um, you know, the, the crowd's going to be electric. You've got game day on campus. And, you know, Bama, even though, you know, historically since Coach Saban has been here, um, the team has always gotten off to a slow start in the first quarter. There's been zero touchdowns scored in whatever game was played the week after the LSU game under Coach Saban. Um, I, just, I just think that this is a good matchup. You know, it's at home. And... You know, I just, I just think that that you know it's a great matchup, and um, you know that's a huge confidence builder um, for them to do what they did Saturday night in Baton Rouge, and in what I consider the toughest environment to play in in all of college football. Um, so you know they passed another test. Um, you know they showed that you know even when they don't play their best football that they're able to make plays when it counts. And I think that's going to carry over and translate into this game. William, we uh, have our first question from the Bams Radio chat room for you. Uh, what are your impressions of the uh, defensive coaches who uh, returned to the fold as far as being on the field this year and the job being done thus far by Kevin Steele and Bo Davis? Well, I think, you know, two things that are very tangible to that question that we already touched on. Um, I think Bo Davis has done a tremendous job working with the defensive linemen and the outside linebackers and getting them, you know, back up to speed um, as far as learning how to properly, from a technique standpoint, rush the pass. Uh, I was actually at the first day of spring practice back in, in March, and that was the first place that I went uh, and migrated to. Um, you know, I, I uh, actually had to block Bo for two years when, when he was at LSU and uh, love him to death as a person and a coach. And, uh, you know, that was the first thing I heard him say. And I can't use the same language that he did, but, you know, basically he said, you know, for the love of God, um, is this really what y'all have been doing here since I've been gone? If, if you pop up and give me your chest every time, if that's your first move out of your stance, you know, my fat rear end can pass block you. So what do you think an SEC offensive lineman is going to do to you? 
And I think they really had to untrain some of the bad habits that had been developed. Um, you know, and I think it's not just with, you know, the down linemen and, and certainly, you know, having guys like, you know, Jaron Reed and, and DJ Tetway come in and, and inject some, some talent there from the JUCO level. Um, you know, that they've done a great job in developing some young guys, you know, at the outside linebacker spots. You know, Ryan Anderson has, you know, finally been given an opportunity, even though I think it's long past due. Um, and, and you know, he's he shown that he's able to get after the quarterback on a consistent basis. You know, back in the, the Arkansas game when, uh, you know, him and Tim Williams were on opposite ends, you know, there were times there in the fourth quarter that it looked like Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson had a bet with each other to see which one could get to the quarterback first. Um, you know, they've still got a young guy, uh, you know, sitting over there on the bench. And, and I don't think this is the right game to to give somebody that's 225 pounds an expanded role um, versus a, a, a team like Mississippi State. You know, they got a guy like Rashawn Evans, uh, you know, sitting over there ready and willing. Um, you know, Deshaun Hand for a true freshman defensive end has, has shown some, you know, some quick twitch ability. Um, you know, and I don't know who I really feel like did the better job between the two of them, but, but I do feel like when Kevin Steele and James Willis were at Alabama, you know, back in the earlier part of Coach Saban's tenure, um, I felt like the linebackers, you know, performed at a higher level. Um, you know, and I've seen – you know, a guy in Reggie Ragland, you know, in the last month that the lights come on for. Um, you can tell that the game has really slowed down for him, and he's able to play at a, at a fast level, um, almost to the point to where if he has uh, three more games like the last three games, you might have to put him on uh, early entry draft watch, in my opinion. I mean, he's a legitimate Butkus candidate, um, you know, award candidate. Wow. So, yeah. you know, yeah. there's been some good things. And I think, you know, getting Kirby smart, you know, because I'm a big fan of, of having guys, you know, like a Mario Cristobal that played offensive line at a high level, you know, uh, both in college and in the pros. Um, you know, I think Kirby Smart's a much better coach back there in the secondary um, because he's got a lot more experience to draw on, you know, being a former SEC defensive back than he does trying to coach a position that he's never played before. So I think having, yeah. you know, Kevin Steele and, and Bo Davis back, um, you know, on the defensive side of the football has been a huge, huge bonus uh, for, for, for Alabama. And, you know, they got a guy over there in their front office, um, you know, if there's some, you know, guys that leave for other jobs or some, you know, shuffling, which always seems to go on. You know, I would love to see um, Nick Saban find a way to get Tosh LePoy involved on the defensive side of the football um, for next season. So a lot of positive things happen for Alabama on that side of the ball right now. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, William, about someone that you've been very high on. And I just felt like, it, first of all, it was amazing that he recovered fast enough to play. But And I, I thought he played at a pretty high level for someone that had the surgery as we broke on Alabama Intel uh, for his high ankle sprain. But what a job Cam Robinson did coming back that quickly and playing a whole game against LSU? Well, you know, and, and I preface this by saying, you know, by saying this, and I want people to understand this isn't uh, me being a homer or a bammer or anything like that. Um, 
you know, I really didn't want to be an offensive lineman in college. I thought I was a little bit more athletic than that. But come to find out, once I got to Tuscaloosa, I realized real quickly I would, uh, uh, you know, rather rather block somebody my own size than, than stalk 200-pound uh, safeties around playing tight end. Um, th- this, this young man is easily, and it's not even a debate in my mind, uh, the most talented true freshman offensive lineman I've ever seen um, at any school, not just Alabama's. Um, he's given up zero sacks this year, uh, playing on an injured ankle Saturday night. He finally gave up his first penalty of the year um, versus LSU. Um, you're, you're watching greatness unfold right before your eyes. Um, you know, and it's scary to think you know, after a year's experience under his belt. And, you know, I've I've basically waited every week going all the way back to the West Virginia game. I was like, well, he's going to struggle. Didn't. Uh, When Dante Fowler in Florida came to town, I was like, well, he's going to get beat. He didn't. Uh, You know, then when the, you know, the the phenom uh, from A&M, Miles Garrett, came to town, I'm like, well, this is going to be ugly. Uh, It wasn't. You know, he's he's passed every test and never failed to deliver. And uh, it's not very often in any level of football, whether it's high school, college, or or a first-year rookie in the NFL, where a first-year player comes in and is the best player by a long way at at that particular position. He's Alabama's best offensive lineman, and and it's not even close. Um, So enjoy him for the next uh, two months and two years because he is gone in, in the NFL draft 2017. Um, easily a top 10 draft pick and probably will have an opportunity to be the number one overall ta- number one overall player taken in that draft. He's like those guys from his hometown say on that reality show, he gone. Well, I got a question for you, William. This is uh, about two different prospects and we this is a recruiting question because I value your uh, sources at East Mississippi Community College more than anybody that we talk to here. And you have got great intel on that school and its prospects, including, well, anyway. Long story short, the question is, uh, I have seen a projection from a respected friend of both of ours that feels that Alabama will pull in this class, uh, both D.J. Jones and Lorenzo Phillips from EMCC, a, what do you think about that projection? And B, if Alabama gets those guys, what do they bring to the table? Well, um, I don't disagree, and I know which friend you're talking about, um, and I don't disagree with either projection. Um, actually, just today, um, I spoke with somebody close to the situation over there, and some transcript uh, discrepancies have popped up with Lorenzo Phillips. Um, I'm not ready to say right now that the, what's popped up is a deal killer um, for him coming to Alabama. There's a lot of due diligence being done right now in Tuscaloosa to dot the I's and cross the T's and double-check just to make sure that he can be um, an early enrollee in January. You know, that that's a huge um, deal with JUCO guys because they, they are still – are allowed to be counted as back counters if they can come in in January. Um, and it still is not known right now whether or not, you know, these transcript issues are going to prevent that from happening. But, um, you know, it, it's better to 
get them cleared up and, and have a, a, a clear picture before the, the clearinghouse looks at it and tells you otherwise. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think unless that aspect of Phillips' recruitment changes, um, then I do think he ends up at Alabama. Um, you know, really the only other school that's uh, in play with him uh, right now is Georgia. Um and DJ Jones, you know, quietly behind the scenes, both of these kids have made multiple trips this fall to Tuscaloosa. I'm surprised that it's, you know, been kept a, been kept quiet and kind of under the radar as much as it has. Um, you know, I learned uh, a week ago today that you know DJ Jones basically spent all day on campus uh, last Wednesday. Um, you know, both players from what they would bring uh, to the table as players on the field. Um, you know, Phillips is a, uh, you know, a guy that can get after the quarterback. You know, he, when he signed with LSU two years ago, you know, he was six six feet tall and weighed 200 pounds. And he's now 6'3", 230. Um, you know, and, and was a integral part last year, um, you know, of that JUCO National Championship team that, you know, he and, and D.J. Jones and D.J. Petway and Jaron Reed all played on together. And I think that's another aspect of of the recruitment is, you know, both, both, you know, both Jones and, and Phillips could probably go anywhere they want to. But, you know, they've got two guys um, that are already, you know, immersed in the program and Petway and, and Reed um, that can kind of lay out for them what to expect. Um, I think with both of them playing, uh, early and often. I mean, both of them I, I kind of consider as co-starters um, at their respective positions. Um, you know, they can say, you know, hey, look, all these other schools that are talking to you and saying that you can come in and play from day one, you know, we can promise you if you come in here and prove that you're ready to play, all you have to do is turn on the games on Saturday and you can see us play. Um, you know, there's some people that think, that D.J. Jones is a better defensive line prospect than, than both Jaron Reed and D.J. Petway were coming out of junior college. Um, you know, I think his verbal commitment to FSU is shaky at best right now. Um, you know, I know his, his mother, um, who lives in South Carolina, um, puts a lot of faith and, and trust into – um, her relationship with Petway and Reed, and I think the Alabama coaching staff certainly has a leg up on his recruitment. You know, if he does decide to not go to Florida State, um, then I think it, you know, it's certainly going to come down to either Alabama or him going back home to South Carolina. But, you know, both of them would be huge additions to this class, not only because I think they can both play and factor in um, next season, but they would both back count and not count against Alabama's numbers for this class. So it'd be like getting four players basically for two. Yeah, it would be. And I think both of those guys are big-time prospects and could make big impacts with the priest being gone and with, of course, Brandon Ivory moving on and DJ could even be an upgrade there. The front seven just has all kind of possibilities, especially if Reuben Foster could ever, you know, master the defense. But, William, we just wanted to thank you for coming on, man. And it's been a fast 30 minutes, as always. Uh, we appreciate the knowledge, and uh, you did a great job, you know, breaking it down for our audience, and you always do. And, we appreciate you coming on BAMS tonight, man. 
Hey, guys, I appreciate y'all having me, and uh, hopefully we can get back together soon. Okay, thank you, man. All right, thank you. So William Redfish Barger of AlabamaIntel.com, great friend of the show and a regular caller, a regular guest. At this time, we're going to take our first break of the evening. Uh, We'll be back in just a few moments with some phone calls uh, and look forward to that, and we'll also give the number after the break that you can call in on. But for now, we're going to take a break. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. Take Bama Sports Radio with you on the go and in your car with the free iPhone app. With cutting-edge features including live broadcasts, on-demand radio, play-pause buttons, and text connect, allowing you to text into shows giving True Tide fans an interactive sports radio experience like never before. Go to BamaSportsRadio.com or search Bama Sports Radio in the iPhone app store to get true 24-hour radio on Alabama sports anywhere in the world, only from Bama Sports Radio. Keep up with Bama Sports Radio off the air and on the move for the latest news and programming on all things Alabama. Follow us on Twitter at Bama Sports Radio and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bama Sports Radio. Bama Sports Radio, giving you all tide, all the time.
That is my cue, and it is eight minutes after the hour. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. And uh, this hour, before we bring on Murph Baldwin at 930, we're going to take calls on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline uh, as we have the uh, traditional mouth breathing going on. Uh, that number is 714-510-3707. Again, you can call us and talk football and whatever else you want to talk on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline, 714-510-3707. It's brought to you by Big Head Barbecue. You can look at the catering menu on uh, BigHeadsBBQ.net. And are we still live? Because everything just went dead. We're good. Okay, good. I guess the mouth talking threw me off. Okay, you can look at the uh, catering menu at BigHeadsBBQ.net. Uh, you can email Chuck, who's the owner, at uh, that's BigHead at BigHeadsBBQ.net. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at BigHeadsBBQ. Uh, if you're anywhere down in the Mobile, Baldwin area, uh, or, or just within 50 miles of that maybe, uh, and you want Chuck to cater your event, it can be an athletic event, a church event, a school event, private parties, weddings, Whatever, uh, that this is who you need to call, and the number to call in that is two five one three seven nine zero zero nine four. Again, two five one three seven nine zero zero nine four. That's Big Heads Barbecue. Joining us now on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline is our regular caller, our only caller from the three three four area code. Apparently, Big C from Greenville. What is going on, my friend? Not much. Just all kind of football, all kind of wild speculation from the poll, you know, the college playoff football poll. Some Alabama fans are mad and some are happy. I'm happy. I don't mind being number five on that poll right now. I think it's fine. Yeah. You know, Alabama has known all along that they got to win out. They've known that since they lost to Ole Miss. And mm-hmm. they got a little bit of help from Auburn against Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago. But Alabama has known all along they got to win out. And winning out means uh, they can literally go from the five this week to the one in five weeks if they went out. They really could do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right on that. I mean, you see, you got this weekend's game, then you got Western Carolina, and then you got, yeah, that's how it works out. And then uh, the win the SEC, you're definitely going to be going to the uh, – to that, uh, to New Orleans or Pasadena one, and then to Dallas for the big game. So, yep, you're right. It's going to all work out. They win. All they got to do is like Al Davis used to say, "Just win, baby." Absolutely, Big C. And uh, I just wanted to know, uh, basically, in your neck of the woods, what seems to be the feel of the of your listeners on the Mississippi State game? Is there a lot of confidence there, or a little, or a little bit of a lot of people I'm talking about? I think a lot of people around here think feel pretty good about it. They sure do. Mm-hmm. Um, talked to a friend of mine last night, and he was talking about with the uh, see Alabama's on an eight and a half point favorite now. He thinks they're going to stop them. I hope he's right. I, I'll take a one point win. One's good as a hundred, but uh, yeah, you beat the number one ranked team by one, you still win. So it doesn't matter. But uh, he thinks they'll. Uh, he thinks he'll beat them more than – I hope he's right. He thinks he'll beat them more than eight points. I'm not exactly going to tell you what he thinks. He thinks it could be two touchdowns. I don't know. Do you all think that or not? Could be. Well, uh, I anybody want – I would jog your memory a little bit, Big C. Do you uh, 
Do you remember that time me and you went to the Mississippi State game at, at Bryant-Denny? It was uh, 1981. I was still in school. You already graduated. And we were sitting there at the end of the game when Tommy Wilcox made an interception to seal it. And we were telling each other how great it was that Tommy Wilcox was going to get to play in the Sugar Bowl in his hometown, New Orleans, his senior year, and Alabama ended up in the Cotton Bowl. But do you remember us nope. that ball game? I think so. Uh, uh, dang, that's so long ago. We did. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Taylor, why don't you tell us about some of the Mississippi State memories you had in the two years you were manager in 78 and 79. What do you remember about okay. the boys? Oh, well, the, since you bring that up, uh, 1978, Alabama played uh, Mississippi State at Legion Field up in Birmingham. And if you recall, that was a game guy that played for Mississippi State named Dave Marler. He was the starting quarterback. I do. I remember what they happened, had a very early version of the spread no huddle. That's right. What happened to him during warm-ups, he pulled his hamstring. So, and they, I guess they did not have anybody else that could play quarterback. So what they did, they just put him in the shotgun, and he threw the ball all over the field that day. But he ended up, luckily, throwing four interceptions. They, uh, the running game was non-existent. They were minus 16 yards rushing that day, and basically all he did was just threw the ball all over the place, and uh, it could have been a, I remember watching playback, I forgot about it at the time, but I remember watching the playback, it could have made the score, it ended up being a 35-21 to win, but I remember they were driving, and Marty Lyons caused the quarterback to fumble, and they recovered it, because they got inside the red zone, I think, on that drive. And Alabama jumped on them like 21 to nothing. I remember Tony Nathan had an 82-yard run that day. And um, anyway, uh, they made it 21 to 14, and Alabama pulled away. And then I remember Lou Eichner, if you remember him, number 30, scored a touchdown. I don't remember this, but somebody told me when he scored in that last touchdown to go up 35 to 14, watching Coach Bryant's show, and he did a little dance in the end zone, and he made a comment about it on his show, which I know it wasn't very favorable about because he didn't like – he wanted people to act like they'd been there before instead of gyrating around in the end zone and stuff like that. But Lou made up for it with the 62-yard punt return against Penn State in the Sugar Bowl on January 1st that year to um, help set up the winning touchdown by Major Ogilvy to win 14-7 and win a national championship. But um, – but I remember um, it was a it was a long day. I remember that, and um, and that and I tell you what I do remember. My mom and daddy came up after the ball game up to Tuscaloosa, and that was the last time I ever went to Joe Namus restaurant. You remember he had a restaurant there on Fifteenth Street, and they remodeled. I remember, it commercial. Nice. I remember a commercial you made about that restaurant. I don't know if we can repeat this on the radio. I, I can't believe I walked. No, no, that, uh, no, I can repeat. I can repeat what you said about Joe Namath. I can't repeat what you said about Colonel Sanders. I okay. can repeat the uh, Joe Namath act. You, and I'll do it in my big C voice. Y'all okay, need to go ahead. out to Joe Namath's restaurant. Uh, our special this week is prime rib a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said on no, that. No, I'm telling the truth. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, you're right. I said that. Oh man, you know where I got that from? From the Yellow Pages phone book to write that ad up for the class we were in, the radio class. Yeah, they just did. They just didn't have the pronunciation on there. 
No, I, I know. I know. What is the real price? You had everybody tag? thinking they were going to the synagogue, man. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the next year we played them in Tuscaloosa. The main thing I remember, we had a we struggled against them. It was seven seven at the half. Then went up ten to seven ten to seven third quarter, and then Alabama scored that day. It was a screen pass from Jacobs to Billy Jackson, and then a series or two later, John Don Jacobs' knee went out on him, and that was the end of him that year. Basically, came back for the Auburn game, his knee went out on him again, and that was it for uh, Jake number five. But uh, ended up beating him twenty four to seven. The only the main thing I remember about that game. After the game was I went home. Normally I didn't do that. Went home at the, after the game and came back and flew back. A doctor from Greenville had an airplane and made the fastest time I ever made to, from Greenville to Tuscaloosa. Flew in a, like a Piper plane and made it back to Tuscaloosa in 45 minutes. Never got really? there that fast from Greenville ever, but that was one. That's the fastest time I ever made it back from Greenville that day. But but ended up beating them 24 to seven. And we were having a lot of injuries and stuff that year at that time frame. And then the next weekend played LSU and beat them three to nothing in that rainstorm down at LSU, which we talked about last week on the show here. We did. Well, tell us what's going on this week on uh, Talking Bama with Big C. All right. We're doing a recap of the Alabama-LSU game, doing a history of the series, and the one game we're talking about, well, I don't know. I don't want to tell them that. We got to tease them. But it's a pretty good game. It was a big game. And I'll go ahead and mention the year 1999 as far as I'm going to go. I want y'all to want to watch it. And then did the matchups, made a prediction of the score of the game. And then at the end of the show, did my top ten from gradingcollegefootball.com. And uh, Auburn last week was number four, and they dropped out of the top ten of that loss to Texas A&M. Alabama's staying about the same. But, you know, let me ask y'all this. Now, this is something I find interesting on this head-to-head thing that this committee is doing. I don't do that on my on my uh, website. How do they figure that out? Or how do they – what do they give them points for, for a win and points for a loss on the head-to-head? Or how do they do that, or do you know? I think it is. I, I agree with Terry. I'm not, I've, What's I've that? said the same thing coming on the show. I'm not sure how they do it. I don't think they really have a formula. I think they try to go by eye test. And uh, and I just don't think right now, the way they've got that rankings, I think they've got Baylor 7th and TCU 4th. And both of them have one loss, and Baylor beat TCU by outscoring them by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And how you can rank TCU ahead of Baylor, I don't understand. Well, on my system, well, I'm last the end of the year, and I think, hang on, I can tell y'all right now. Think, I got to You got it memorized? All right. No, I don't have it memorized, but right now, TCU's a little ahead. I'm, and the main reason why is because their schedule is better. And also, I think, I'm not sure, what's their record? Are they both got the same record? I'm trying to figure that out. I do know this, that they – Somebody told me yesterday that Baylor's non-conference schedule was 128 out of 128 in the country. So their non-conference schedule is pretty bad. At the end of the year, I think if we say that this stuff is the same as the system I got, 
in the year, I think Baylor will be ahead of TCU. And also what would help Baylor is they won the conference championship and say TCU's a the you know, co champion, they'd get five more points from beating the conference champion on my system. So so that would help them out a lot on that. But your system still right got now, Marshall in the top ten? Yeah. I see that's well, where fix that fix that's where the head to head. I might have to do that. I might have to put the head to head thing in there next year, but I just don't have it in there now. That's what I was asking y'all that question. How much of the point? You know, how many points do you get? I was thinking maybe giving five points for beating somebody that's in the top twenty-five, and if you lose to them, give them a point or something like that. Because they're getting you reward them, but don't reward them as much as you do for a win. But I don't know how much they're doing it. Uh, or maybe give them half or something. I don't know, but. Uh, We'll have to do that because if we did that, Marshall wouldn't be in the top ten. I see they're barely into the top twenty right now. But what, what, how did is, this system of yours? What's the origin of you doing this point system? How did it all start? Okay, we originally started ten years ago. You remember the here's where it came from. If you recall, ten years ago, we had Southern Cal started off at number one. Oklahoma started at number two, and a team over in East Alabama named Auburn number 18. As you recall, as the season kept on going along, all of a sudden, they were getting, they were moving up and up and up and up, and then they even tied Oklahoma before they played Alabama. They were tied for second before they played Alabama with Oklahoma in 2004. And as you remember, Alabama played them a well again, despite how bad a team we had that year. And they dropped from there. But, you know, you had all these Auburn fans complaining about it, and, you know, and I thought, well, you know, I could see, if I was an Auburn fan, I could see them thinking they ought to be in the top two, but also at the same time, I was saying there's no way, you know, you know, if I was, I don't see how, how it'd be fair to move one Oklahoma or Southern Cal out of the way to let them be number two, as long as both teams were winning. So, I came up with the idea, like, you get three points for beat, playing a, beating a BCS team, which is now Power 5 team. You get two points for beating a team that's not a BCS team, like a Troy State. And then you play somebody like Georgia Southern when they were in Division One AA, you get one point for that. And first start off that way, and then a friend of mine told me, you ought to add, you ought to get points for playing on the home, you know, get more points for winning on the road and then at home because it's harder to win. So I came up with the idea, you get one point for beating an unranked team at home, then you get two points for beating an unranked team team on the road, and then you get three for beating the right. Like, Alabama will get six points this weekend. This system winning. Like, last week they got seven because they beat oh, I mean, LSU on the road. And the right team on the road. So you get three points for beating a BCS or Power 5 team. And then Alabama got four points for beating LSU on the road. And this weekend, they'll get three points for winning the game, and then get three more points for beating a right team at home. And that's how that came about. And then I came up with the idea, like, if you go undefeated, you'll get five points for an undefeated regular season. And then if you win the bowl game, you get five more points that way. And also came up with the idea you beat the conference champion, you'd get five points for that. And then some other things, like if you beat like somebody like Troy, if you beat them this year and they won their conference, you get four points. And like last year when Alabama beat Chattanooga, they won the Southern Conference, so they got three points for that. Like when they played Georgia Southern three years ago, they got three points for that for beating a Division One AA Conference champion. 
So that's how it all came about. And it just to me, it's just a fair way of doing it. You try to take out the prejudice and the emotions out of it, and try to be as fair as you can. And it's like playing golf. You play, you shoot a three on a par four, you get a birdie. If you uh, have a four, you get a you know something on that order. But you got to but it's, it's, it's it applies to everybody, so nobody gets any kind of special treatment. All right. Well, tell it. we got to let you go now, but tell them before I do uh, how they can uh, listen and watch on the Internet uh, talking band with a big C. All right, this is what they can do. Go to jockjive.com. Go to game, uh, week 12. It'll be coming up tomorrow or Friday. Talking Bama with Big C. Like I mentioned earlier, you'll hear a recap of the Alabama LSU game, the history of the Alabama Mississippi State series. Uh, predictions, matchups, trivia questions. It's a very good one, but I'm not going. You got to watch it to see it. It's a very good one. I'll tell you out there later on. Carry what the trivia question is. I want everybody want want their curiosity up or tease them to do that. But anyway, so go to jockjive.com. Talking about on Big C. Like us on Facebook and also share us with your friends. The more the area. And uh, as I like, and I'll be calling you. Friday morning, uh, 10 after, to be on my show. And I thank you, and y'all have a roll tide night. And and what do you think, Drew, real quick on Friday, on Saturday? Well, uh, my prediction, I kind of solidified it today. I'm going to go back and harken back to the 1992 National Championship season. Alabama 30, Mississippi State 21, and Alabama moves on. And uh, I think uh, that Mississippi State will make some plays, but I think Alabama is going to move the football throughout be multiple offensively, and find a way to turn Mississippi State over a couple of times and win the football game. I like that. You say it. What do you think, Kerry? Uh, wow. I'm going to say <laughs> similar analysis, slightly different score, but I'm a 34, State 21. Okay. I like that. So, we got to let you go, Big C, but uh, we'll holler at you Friday, okay? Okay, great. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Y'all have a great night. See you, Drew. Bye, Gary. Y'all hang in there. Roll time. Roll time. See you later, Roll time. Roll time. All right. See you. Uh, we got we got other guests coming up in about four minutes. And before we bring him on, Drew, there's been two major events in men's basketball since the last show. Uh, one was today when all three prospects, uh, Dante Hall, Brandon Austin, and Dazon Ingram, signed as expected and all signed before 5 o'clock. So there really wasn't any drama. Did go down. That was good. And the other thing was there was a uh, maybe a little closer than it should have been game against the top five team in Division Two. Montevallo came in for an exhibition, and uh, Alabama broke open a tight game with a 14-2 to run the last couple of minutes and ended up winning 81-67 to in Coleman Coliseum. Uh, 22 points for Levi Randolph, 17 for Shannon Hale, 15 for Rodney Cooper. And I watched that game uh, on laptop and – cell phone and stuff and uh, on the watch ESPN app. I really enjoyed watching uh, Justin Coleman, Drew. Right. And uh, he was solid. He had six points, had about a half a dozen assists. Uh, you know, he I thought, you know, he played a solid game. The biggest thing was the team overall shot 50%, Kerry. Uh, shot the ball pretty well. Uh, and didn't have three of their top, you know, seven, eight, nine. We don't know the rotation yet, but I don't think there's any doubt that uh, – of course, Michael Kessens uh, could could end up playing starters minutes or be a starter, uh, depending on the situation. But will be an integral part of the team. 
Uh, Ricky Tarrant should be the starting point guard or even could be in a backcourt at times with Justin Coleman. We saw him at Hoops on the quad. He looked very, very good. He did not play. And then Retno Bazahan, athletic defender, you know, somebody that can get out in the open floor. He did not play. So considering all that, they still scored 80 points, shot 50% from the field. Had a little bit of trouble with Montevallo, but that's nothing new because I was at both the Alabama-UAH games during the Anthony Grant era exhibitions. One went to overtime. The other one went right down to the wire. There are some very, very good Division II basketball teams that can give people a run. They are, and I had a chance last night uh, to hear Coach Grant speak, and he just echoed what you said. There will be times this year that Tarrant plays with Coleman. They slide Levi out of the three or receive I need to break or what have you. Uh, and so you will see that. Uh, Wendell Hudson, who has attended many practices, uh, he described uh, Michael Kesson's game uh, just in a private conversation after the meeting as a European post player. And I said, Coach, I hope you don't mean Carl. He said, no, 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 I don't mean Carl. <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean a European post player that, that, that can post up down low but also can run around the perimeter a little bit, hit the free throw line, jump or the occasional three. And I said, oh, so you mean like Robert Ory? He said, yeah, yeah, kind of like that. So Kessens is a multidimensional player. Uh, I think he will help. When he can fully recover from the sports hernia surgery he had like a year ago, that's what's got him uh, kind of in a setback right now. And Coach Grant said that you could see one, maybe two of the injured guys play very limited minutes uh, Friday night. They don't really need them Friday or Monday. They need them next Thursday against Southern Miss. Mm-hmm. Uh that's that's the time they need everybody healthy. Uh, but they do have an 8 o'clock game this Friday night against Towson State at home. It is a season opener. It'll be preceded by a women's game at 5.30, so you can actually see two games for the price of one. And uh, Christy Curry had another good uh, had a good signing day-to-day as well, uh, bringing in a lot of uh, Caucasian sensations. I hope they are. But, uh, hey, she's doing <laughs> She's, had, she's uh, bringing in basketball players that, that, that she feels can run her system, and that's all fine and good. And uh, wish the best to Christy Curry. And uh, so, anyway, it is 930. And without further ado, Drew, why don't you go ahead and bring on our second guest? Yes, uh, we, we are bringing in the king of the X's and O's uh, for his second straight appearance. Uh, he did some great things last week at some great uh, observations and scouting, a great scouting breakdown of L- Alabama LSU. And, Boy, he was right, as I told him this afternoon. You know, you, this morning you were spot on. It was a very tough game for Alabama. He thought it would be, and uh, it was. He, he, he did say at the end he thought you know, he doesn't pick Alabama to lose usually, and they did not, but they had to, you know, it was, a, it was a fist fight, as we all thought it would be. But we're bringing back in Murph Baldwin of Saturday Down South. Murph, uh, it's a late, late hour for you, uh, 10.30 your time. We really appreciate you coming on this late with us to give us about 30 minutes and break down uh, the premier matchup in college football this weekend. Hey, you know, as always, man, I'm going to do my BAMS radio part. So, you know, I love being on here. What's going on, guys? What's up, Kerry? Thanks, Chicken Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess uh, you, I know you wrote uh, – I'll let Kerry go into this. He, he, he mentioned it on our show. Just Kerry uh, try to just uh, talk about, you know, uh, what your thoughts were on Murph's column and what you were wanting him to break down. I enjoyed reading your column on the Mississippi State game today, Murph. Uh, very informative. Uh, it, it, also, it was kind of a double-edged column because a lot of it was breaking down the LSU game and uh, the heart that, that Blake Sims and company showed there at the end. 
But then he got into the Mississippi State matchup this week. And uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Murph, but it seems like you agree with us that for Alabama, this is a very, very winnable home game. Yeah, this one, um, as as you remember last week, I was I was kind of iffy on the um, LSU game. And, of course, I said Alabama would win. But I just knew personnel-wise that LSU, like I said before, they recruit at the same level as Alabama. I think Les Miles does a wonderful job, and we see there – and their team is about as young as it gets, man. They're going to be so tough to beat next year, you know, but we'll save that for next year. But um, Mississippi State, I think they they have great players at certain positions, but obviously they're not recruiting at the level of, that, at the level of Alabama. And um, I think schematically and personnel-wise that there's a lot of things that Alabama can exploit in this particular matchup. And um, – a lot of people are going to concentrate on that number one ranking, and um, a lot of people are going to concentrate on that quarterback, but and the running back, of course, Josh Robinson. I think he's a hell of a player, and um, he might be the hottest running back right now going. Besides Nick Chubb at Georgia, uh, he's a he's a tough he's a tough guy to bring down, and they do a lot of and they have a lot of ways of getting him the ball. Of course, they do a lot of the sprint options and. Uh, and they um they got a lot on the cutback game and um they can line up and go conventional and but they like to spread you out of course and that's that's what makes it really hard to deal with and um of course Dak Prescott being able to use his legs but the thing about it is I I think Alabama can defend that um just due to the fact that Alabama's just the best run defense they have the best run defense that I've seen this year man they've taken it up another level and I think that they were of course when you and your rival is at Auburn, and those guys are running the ball like that. And, of course, that was the um, first season of them really seeing them get back into it, back into the swing of things like that, running the ball. So you can tell they worked hard all off season at stopping the run. And I actually believe that they can stop the run. They can definitely stop it conventionally and maybe um, limit Robinson. They just got to tackle well, and they got to bring their hats. But I think that the line can, can, can dominate Mississippi State's offensive line. So if they're able to stop that, and then you have to worry about the disconnected runs by Dak Prescott, both designed and the disconnected runs. So if you're able to stop that and force this guy to beat you through the air, I mean, I just don't think he has it like that. I I really don't. I think that he's he's improved as a passer, and um, he can he he's not that good of a stretch vertical player. I don't think he throws the deep ball very well. And I think he's accurate in spurts, but I think with the type of defense that Bama's going to be giving him, and this could be the game that they could show him some of the manufactured pressure that you can confuse somebody like him and, and cause him to um, turn the ball over. So I just think that this is a winnable game for Alabama, and I think that um, if they play their cards right, it could possibly get out of hand towards the end. Like, I'm, I don't know. I, I like Mississippi State, and I like what they're doing on – under defense, as far as the the defensive line, I think they have some real studs there. They have some first round draft picks there, and um, the Chris Jones, the um, hybrid defensive tackle, defensive end. And you got Preston Smith, the um, six technique. Uh, he can really get up the field. But those guys, they're either feast or famine. They either sack you or you're gonna throw an 80 yard bomb on them. So I don't think that um, we should be worried about that a little too much of course that's what having a, a mobile quarterback does for you and um and I'm really impressed with Blake Sims man I think he's come a long way and um this could be a game that he really shows his stuff 
Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely a winnable game for um, Alabama, and I think that um, they will pull this one out. That's just well, my opinion. Plus, I gotta, I've, I've got to ask you about the LSU game just real briefly because yeah, he wasn't honored by the coaching staff, but uh, he's – I, he 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 played just one of the best games you're ever going to see a defensive lineman play. But and I know you being a defensive guy, you had to just be wow. But just kind of talk about the game Jaron Reed had last week when you have when you have a nose guard get 15 tackles in a game. I mean that's that's amazing stuff. And talk about uh, the, how how much he's improved as the season has gone along for Alabama. I think he's just that good of a player, period. I think that, remember when I told you guys, I was like, they're going to have to go to their heavy personnel on this one because LSU is really committed to the run. So you, you didn't see much of the rocket rushers like I would like to call them, the Ryan Anderson's from Sean Evans and those guys or Deshaun Hand and people like that. So this was the guy, This was the um, game that they could just line up in 34 and just and just swap helmet paint, you know. And I think having that guy at the nose like that, and um, remember we said that the uh, interior of their offensive line was a little suspect. They were good from the left guard and the left tackle, but that center and right guard position was where Bama could eat. So, And that's where, right where your boy Reed was, man. He was just lining them up and just taking them out. He was eating them up, man. If you really look at it, those guys had a ton of yards. They didn't have a ton of yards. They had a decent amount of yards, but... It was some old school, <laughs> three yards in a cloud of dust type yards. So he had like 58 rushes. <laughs> but yeah, man, that, that was beautiful to see, man. That's the type of football that I love. A lot of people don't like that kind of football, but I can still remember some of the better, some of the best games. It's just those defensive battles like that, man. And um, even that game um a, a few years ago when LSU and Alabama did that, just to see them um type of defensive players that they had on there, just the beautiful schemes that both team, teams were running with Chavis's 4-2-5 scheme and Bama running in that 34 with the multiple fronts. It's just beautiful. And it was like fast forward, it was like that all over again. And um, I think by the time it's all said and done, when some of those young players graduate or they leave, it'll be a ton of those guys will be in the NFL. And Jaron Reed would definitely be one of them. He's going to be – hopefully he could be a Falcon. <laughs> That would be exactly what they would need. Both a question from the chat room. Do you think uh, that Derrick Henry is too much of a finesse runner, and do you think it's so that Burton Burns can correct that? Um, 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 finesse. Um, I know it's tough to call somebody that big finesse, but he is a finesse runner, man. He's a big dude, man, but he's a cutback runner, and he's a – and he's a he's a find the alley type of runner, and you rarely really see him finish runs. Like you know, like if you compare him to a Todd Gurley, I kind of made that mistake too because he, he just looks so much like a Todd Gurley type guy. But he, uh, he's nothing like Todd Gurley. He's more of a um, Arian Foster kind of guy, you know. Except he has some serious blazing speed, unlike Foster. Foster's kind of slower, which is nothing wrong with that, you know. That's actually what a cutback kind of scheme. That's that's what what you would want. You want a guy with some good vision in the, I'm sorry, in the ability the ability to find the cutback lane. So, um, I don't I don't think you you can really change that in a guy like that. But I mean, it's definitely something you just want to get him out on the edges. And you can see, like in that Florida game, they had him going, man, and he he was finding the cutback lanes like each time. It's like it's brilliant to see because that's a tough that's a tough ordeal to, to do. I remember when the Raiders switched to a zone blocking scheme, Darren McFadden, who I think is the absolute 
best athlete that you could see at the running back position. Big, fast guy. He's probably fast. He's faster than Adrian Peterson and just as big. But he had trouble in the zone blocking scheme. He was averaging like 2.5 yards per, per carry for a whole season. It's just it's a vision thing and it's a feel thing and it's a patience thing. So when you when you have patience like that and you don't finish your runs yet, you're going to be called finesse. But there's all kinds of ways to skin a cat. So, I mean, as you see, Bama still has a lot of the zone blocking scheme in there in their repertoire, and they just keep utilizing him that way. I mean, he can run the man blocking stuff and the gap blocking stuff as well, but he's at his best when he's cutting it back. So I'm not sure if Burton can fix that, nor really should he. He just needs to just be what he is, man. Sometimes you are what you are, and it's not a bad thing. So it's just that people want him to be one of those tie girly type, and he's not going to do that, man. He's going to break long runs like that but he's going to be finding those seams and those cutback lanes, and he's going to be taking them to daylight. Same thing with T.J. Elton. The way it was phrased yeah. to me was he needs to learn how to run behind his pads. Yeah. You would like to see a 240-pound guy just take over a game and wear down a defense like that, and I, I just don't think that he can. I don't think that he'll wear down a defense, and I don't think people are really – like, you don't see people getting big shots on Todd Gurley like that because, I mean, he's afraid. People are afraid to attack him, you know. I've been in that situation before. I remember we were playing a, a game against a guy, real big tailback, man, and you see a guy with those big thighs and stuff like that coming at you, and you're like, you're thinking, like, oh, man. It's like, man, I wish I could hit this guy really low and kind of clip him or whatever like that. Or you're like, man, I wish I can get this guy before he gets ahead of steam started. And that's what people feel with Todd Gurley. But Derek Kennedy, you can see I've seen people lay some big shots on him. You know, it's like people are not afraid because he's he's not going to get run with good pad level. He's just going to he'll make you miss or he'll outrun you or he'll take a, a good angle at you. So, um, yeah, I can say he can run behind his pads, but it's probably not his style. I mean, not everybody has the same style, but I would love to see him run behind his pads. He would be a, a pile driver that you need. But if you think about it, the whole roster, there's not really a pile driver on the roster. I wonder what Al T. Tenpenny is like, you know. I, I can't really say for sure. I can't really remember his film from back in the day, but I'm not even really sure if he's a power driver like that. Like those guys at Arkansas, all those guys can finish their runs. And um, Florida, like a Matt Jones, like that dude, he finishes his run. He's he's a tough guy. That's what people want to see Henry be like, but he's just not that guy, and I don't think people really realize that. Well, Murph, going back to – the Mississippi State Bama game. I know you and I have both pretty much agreed on the program last week that Alabama was going to have to win on first down against LSU. But you look at the Mississippi State offense, particularly Dak Prescott, with how good he is on third down. And it is it is cliche to say Alabama needs to win on third down. But Dak Prescott's among the country's best in converting those awkward third downs by either extending a play or just running and doing it himself. How does Alabama, how do they draw up a defense to win on third down? Because if you remember in the Arkansas game, that's all Dak Prescott did on the Razorback defense. Yeah. The thing about the Razorback defense is is they don't have the the linebackers, per se, that I think that could keep up with them. Like maybe a Montrell Spates, I think he's, he's pretty decent. He's a little guy, though. But somebody like Reggie Ragland, man, this is the perfect game for him to be kind of like a spy. I think he's every bit the athlete of a Dak Prescott. So if they wanted to um, do some more cover one type stuff but have an underneath spy and Reggie Ragland, I mean, just for third down purposes, 
and and this could be the game that you could even drop down Landon Collins as well, just just in case somebody leaked out or something like that, and to have I'm sorry, and and to have um to have Ragland's back. So if you were to drop him down and Ragland was able to be a spy. I just don't think that those guys can hurt you on the outside. The the Runyon Wilson kid, he's a he's a he's a great receiver, or he's going to be a great receiver, but I don't think he's there yet with his route running ability. And um, and I like what Cyrus Jones is doing, and um, and uh, Eddie Eddie Jackson as well. I think they're playing some good ball. So um, and I don't think Dak has it to where that um, if you can kind of confuse him with the different coverages and stuff like Alabama's going to do, that he'll be able to decipher that. So it'll just be man-on-man, mano-a-mano, and having Raglan kind of spy him. That would be my thing. I wouldn't, um, and maybe this would be the time you, if, if they're not if they're not going no huddle and you're able to substitute, maybe I would bring Trey DePriest off the field, and this would be the time that um, Dallas, um, I'm sorry, I don't know why I call him Dallas Lee, and that's his brother, <laughs> um, Dylan Lee, could get some time as well. So you want to get some more athletes on the field on third down. That would be That would be my thing. And um, the same thing with um, that may be, may be your time to try to two-gap in the middle, and this may be your time to have like a um, Jonathan Allen back in um, three technique to a five technique and have him because he has some athleticism as well. So maybe don't let him get to the second level, and I believe Alabama can do that with the, with their particular defensive line. And I don't think Mississippi State's offensive line is all that overwhelming, so that would definitely be the way I would go. Around some cover one, have some man underneath. Have um, sorry, have zone underneath with um, Raglan, acting as a spy. I mean, that would be what I would do. What about you, Thomas? No, I think you're right. Um, I was gonna actually have to write the scouting report for Alabama Intel, and I would either I would consider spying Raglan, or I would just run like straight cover two zone and or, or some kind of com. Well, a lot of what they did. Um, Last week, I'd potentially see if he can read a combo coverage. If he can, yeah. you have to obviously get away from it because when Jennings started running for third downs, that's when LSU started really making hay, particularly in the second half. But mm-hmm. if he can't read a combo coverage, what's it matter? That's kind of where I – I think it's going to be real interesting to see how the game plan evolves with Kirby Smart because there's a lot of tools that he can use to confuse and kind of get in Dak's head. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like you were saying, when they were there, I believe they were running straight man because they, um, of course, the corners and the inside corners were all turning and running with their men on third down, and Jennings was able to to recognize something like that and just scramble for the first down. So I'm glad he did that. So that would let that would give you something, um, a platform for for this particular week that you would know you were run a combo coverage, and I believe like the cover one, the cover one with the zone underneath would be that, you know, because Raglan would be right. still facing would still be facing forward, and um, all the other guys would be turning and running, and it's looking like it's man, but underneath his zone. And um, uh, I guess it would be uh, Nick Perry running at the free safety. And, and there, I mean, there you, there you go. That would be kind of confusing. I mean, it, it's kind of confusing when you're running if you ever ran it like that. I mean, I played in the cover one, stuff like that. It's kind of confusing to even, to even run it. But I, I think that um, – like you said, it's going to be a chess match. You know, Dan Mullen is definitely a good offensive coordinator, his own offensive coordinator, and um, I think he'll find maybe a ways to get him out on the edges and, and and try to leak him out and stuff like that. Maybe a roll the pocket option and stuff like that. So then that's where, <laughs> then that's where it gets a little tricky. At then if if they come come with something and and, and combo that, 
but I don't put anything past Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. So I think that they can um, they can combat whatever that Mississippi State is trying to bring. But yeah, the combo coverage is definitely definitely the way to go. Murph, uh, since you mentioned Reggie Ragland, uh, we have a question for you from our chat room that says that Reggie has grown tremendously as the season progressed. Do you think he will go to the NFL after this year if he keeps going at his current pace? If I was him, I'd go. After all, this is the type of game that you make a name. I think in the LSU game, they called his name enough. I think people are going to see that. C.J. Mosley is going to give him the benefit because I think C.J. Mosley is going to get that defensive rookie of the year. And if you're looking for um, the type of linebackers you want in this day and age, uh, somebody like Reggie Ragland is perfect, man. Uh, I was surprised when when um, Dallas picked up Rolando McClain to play in that cover two scheme because I'm like, man, I know McClain's a good he's a good linebacker, he's a great linebacker, very intelligent. But I was wondering if he could get depth in his drops like you have to do in a cover two scheme. And seeing him run that and his instincts take over it reminds me of something what Ragland can do because I think he's about that same size, maybe a little shorter, but he's a 260-pound guy, man, that can run like a deer. And he can, he can. We've seen him covering tight ends down the field. I mean, we got the pass interference on, um, I think it was Hunter Henry in Arkansas. But the fact that he was running with him like that to me was amazing, man. This guy's 260 pounds, and um. He's scheme diverse. He can fit in a 3-4 defense. He can play either spot. Right now, you see, and when they're going to a 3-4, they don't necessarily even switch spots anymore. It's like I see um, I see Raglan playing the wheel position. You know, he's not, he's playing over on the weak side, which is C.J. Mosley's position. It was where people wanted, um, where we thought Trey DePriest was going to play, which he does, but they alternated. So they're able to give Raglan even more responsibility. So we know he can play in the 34. He could easily play in the 4-3, of course, as a middle linebacker. But I think he can play as a Sam linebacker as well. He can run like that, like a like a Dante Hightower. He's like a mix of everybody you've seen. He's like a Mosley-Hightower-McLean hybrid. I think he's that good. It's, sometimes it's just about recognition, and it's about people calling your name and, and different things like that. So I'm doing my best to – Anytime I try to talk about the defense on any of my articles, I try to mention. I'm, I try to mention him. He's, he's that good of a player. He's very impressive. Thing about he doesn't have much film from last year, so it'll be all film from this year. And um, you never know, man. You playing in these stages like this, you do really good against a Mississippi State. Turn around and do good against Auburn, and then you can have a couple of games under your belt. He could easily hear his name called in the first round, late first round, early second round. And if that was the case, if I was him, I would I would go ahead and come out, you know. I know Bama fans don't want to hear that, but the depth is there. I mean, they'll find – there'll be another guy there, Sean Dion Hamilton. He looks like he could be a pretty good player, and everybody wants to see Foster running around and with his head down and running into everybody, <laughs> knocking himself out and stuff. So if I was Reggie Ragland right now, I'd be thinking about coming out. He's that good. Well, I want to, I want to ask you about another matchup, Murph, and I know you've looked at it a lot, and there's been a lot of talk about it. I've watched them a little bit. Their secondary has really kind of struggled at Mississippi State. Obviously, Coop had his worst, poorest game of the year last uh, last week, even though he still had eight catches. I know he only had two against Arkansas. He was kind of not, you know, kind of banged up in that game, but he hadn't really dropped the ball much. But just kind of talk about Alabama's receivers in the matchup with Mississippi State's defensive backs. Yeah, um, Coop, man, it's funny when you can have like eight catches for 80-something yards and just be real quiet and, you know, 
He's that dude's <laughs> awesome, man. If he's not a top five yeah. pick, I don't know what is. He's a franchise yeah. wide receiver, man. Straight up, I was yeah, trying to think is. of different teams that he could play for, and um, I can see him all over the map, man. If he could go to the New York Jets or somebody like that, or he can find find his way on the Rams, man, he could change the franchise. But as far as him going up against these guys, the funny thing about Mississippi State is both their cornerbacks are NFL guys, like Jamerson Love and I think it's Tavis Calhoun. Like they're they're pretty solid players, but. Um, I don't know, man. They struggle to they struggle to find the ball when it, the, the further it gets down the field is is the worse they are. They're pretty good tacklers, so I believe the short game. If if we were to go to the short game, they they would be able to tackle well. And Cooper excels at any game, but I really like him in a short game. The hitches and slants and curls and different things like that because he's able to break tackles, and um he can turn a six yard hitch into a sixty yard touchdown. So those guys can tackle really well, but I think this will be the game for the rollout and to go into the to the the deep into the West Coast offense book with the sprint rollouts and have him going deep and just try to test him on every play because the safeties is is, is what kind of holds their scheme back and um, it's weird even that guy even the safe the safeties a pretty good guy too but you know and they have a good nickel back in Will Redmond as well so I don't know it's a lot of talent there on their defense but. Talent can only get you so far. I'm guessing, man. Those those guys cannot locate the ball. So this will be the. I want to see some deep balls in this game, and I want to see those guys definitely be able to defend that. And I want to see um, I want to see O.J. Howard be a, a better target in this game because they have bigger linebackers. And they have <laughs> it's weird, man. They have NFL linebackers as well. They have NFL talent all over their defense. It's, it's a it's a really a great defense. So Bama's going to have to really bring it on offense as well. But those bigger guys, I wonder about them covering. You know, they're good. They're good in the short game and stuff like that. But we have an inline tight end that can be flexed out and that can cause mismatches. He's a matchup nightmare. Maybe send him on some seam routes and, and, and see what those guys can do. Because I know the safety's not going to be able to help as well because he's going to be having his head turned. And the more you can do, the more you can confuse. So get Howard involved in this one. Send Coop deep. Let um, White do his thing. And um, just let them fly, you know. The thing that I'm mostly worried about is they're going to have to get that run game cranking and um, for a lot of that to take place. And I'm not exactly sure how. So, you know, i got to ask you, Drew, like what's Yeldon looking like? Drew? Well, yeah, Murph, Yeldon is going to be okay, I think. I mean, he's not going to be 100%. Uh, he, did, he did more work today than he did Tuesday. He didn't do much at all Monday. Uh, I, like I said, after the game, I, I, I talked to someone and then saw a picture of him. He did not have a boot on. Was not did not be was not on crutches. Was with some of the trainers. Uh, I, I think you know he did re-injure his ankle in that game. He's had a problem with a high ankle sprain or not a high ankle sprain, but an ankle sprain this year and a foot sprain. Uh, he's he's had you know some issues, but I think a lot of uh, what happened to him Saturday night too was some hurt pride too. You don't like fumbling the yeah, ball. Yeah, I was thinking but, about uh, that. <laughs> That's the first thing that yeah, came to so, my mind. I was like, oh, this man fumbled the ball. His pride's I mean, I, on the line I, I, right there, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you're I right about that. Well, if he's good to go, man, then um, what you want to do with these guys is you 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 want to get that stretch run game going. So this may be a, some time for Yeldon and Herrick to get in that zone blocking scheme and make those big linebackers run and, and, and go that way and right. get them flowing that way and then cut it back on them. So um, 
I'm not sure if this is the game you want to run right at these guys because they got a deep defensive line, man. They're rotating guys kind of like Alabama, and um, mm-hmm. they're bringing fresh guys in, and, and I think they can stop that power game. But if you get them flowing on the zone blocking scheme and find those seams, you may be able to break some long ones. And um, So, yeah, so we see Yeldon and, and Henry do that. And at a time like this, you're definitely missing, missing Kenyon Drake. I think you're just missing that part of it in the backfield anyway. So it would be nice to see what Tyron Jones could do, or even or even Tenpenny. I'm not sure if he's that type of an athlete, but I know Tyron Jones is. So maybe you want to get him out there, man. Start getting these swing passes and getting these screens going, and get them out on the edges and making these guys run. Because they're, and like I said, they're Beniquez Brown and um, Bernardrick McKinney. They're, they're some bigger guys, but they're some hard hitting guys, and, and and they will bring the lunch for the man blocking and gap blocking schemes. So just get them flowing. But yeah. Um, the receivers, I think, can have a field day. Back to your original question, I think the receivers can definitely have a field day in this one. They just got to – the line has to give them time to block, man. Murph, I wanted to ask you about a guy. We've we mentioned a number of the weapons that State has, and they do bring a lot of weapons to this game. But a young man that hasn't played in about a month because he's been injured is coming back for this game. I want you to talk about what Alabama's facing, both as a return man and as a receiver in uh, Jamie and Lewis. Lewis, he's a shifty guy. He he, um, he runs pretty decent routes too. So, but it's just up to the quarterback to be able to give him the ball in that tight man coverage. And uh, I can see I can see Eddie Jackson locking him down. It's funny how we were um, we were all on Tony Brown being that guy and all this and that. But Jackson proved and Tony Brown proved that the SEC is just diff- is difficult, man. Because we don't even really see Tony Brown that much. And when we did see him, it wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire. But Jackson was doing his thing, and I think Jackson matches up very well with a, a route runner like um, like Lewis. Um, you want to get up on a guy Jackson like that. I thought they had Jackson on Duranier, though. I thought well, they I had Eddie on Duranier. Maybe, maybe Cyrus on Jamie. Well, they don't necessarily switch sides, though. So most of the time when I see Duranier, he's always looked like he's playing like on the, um, on the boundary side of the field. Um, but – if uh, Alabama's not switching, I'm sure they use go left and right for um, for their corner. So I'm sure they'll see both if um, Mississippi State is moving their guys all around like that. But I usually see um, Lewis playing the um, playing on the the right side of the, their formation, which is where I think Eddie Jackson will be. But I'm sure you'll see them both. But that would be cool though if they could put Jackson on him and and have him shadow like that. But when's the last time we've seen a um, a cornerback shadow from Alabama? Yeah, that's Anybody? very true, Murph. And, and I wanted to speak on cornerbacks because my friends have been a critic of his the whole season. And I have I have been somewhat, but I think he's improved a lot. I've tried to convince them of that. I've, it's been a losing battle. But you were a former defensive back. You made reference to him earlier just in this segment. But talk about how or what kind of level of play you've seen out of Cyrus Jones this year. I think it's night and day from last year. I don't see how. Sometimes I think that when you when you get and you leave a, um, a non favorable impression and people are just on you like that, it's hard for them for you to get that stench off you. You know, because I can't. I don't know how anybody could see how he played last year and then to this year and not say the guys improved like dramatically. You know, and some of these games, I'm like, man, he's the best defensive back on the field that's not named Landon Collins. And he's a feisty guy. He's able to um, – he, he he's making turnovers. His tackling is, is, is better. Um, he's able to find the ball. He's able to turn and locate. His transitions look good. Um, his transition fades from his 
from his pedal to his in and out of his breaks and stuff. Um, I think he's played played well, but I mean it's the SEC, man. I mean those guys are on scholarship too over there. You're not just going to shut everybody down. I mean I'm not trying to sit here and say that he's a, a number one draft pick or anything like that. He, I mean he's a decent player, man. He's a fifth, sixth round pick probably, but he's got some nice athleticism to him. And um, I think he, I think he's played well at times. I think he's played very well. But it's just the up and down nature of being a cornerback in the SEC when you're going against guys that are in Tennessee guys and stuff like that. Those guys got, got got some real first round talent playing at the receiver position in the Southeastern Conference. So um, I don't know. It's just when you get that stench on you, man, it's going to be hard for people to see you in a different light. So. I think he's played a lot better, and I'm pretty sure if you ask uh, Nick Saban, he probably would tell you the same. Well, we sure do appreciate you coming on. As always, Murph, uh, we're going to actually wrap on time tonight. But uh, before we let you go, tell our listeners or remind our listeners where they can read your stuff. Yeah, okay. Thank you guys for having me again. And um, you can find me at Saturday Down South um, every Monday and Fridays, usually, I do um, a couple of columns a week there, just X's and O's breakdown. Um, I don't necessarily concentrate on Alabama because I have to cover the entire SEC, but I try to do as much Alabama as I can. And um, you can follow me on Twitter at Murph Baldwin, M-U-R-F Baldwin. Yes, sir. Nice, nice right, job, guys. Murph, as always, sleep. man. And appreciate you coming on. All right, guys. Appreciate it. You have a good show. Good to have you. Good to have you. Good to have you. That's Mark Baldwin of SaturdayDownSouth.com, and we are actually going to get off uh, now, not not too late from my normal time of closing out. Uh, you have been listening for the last two hours to another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. We want to thank our guest, Mark Baldwin of Saturday Down South, and also uh, William Barger, the Redfish of AlabamaIntel.com. So, for Drew DeArmond of AlabamaInfield.com, for Thomas Watts of TouchdownAlabama.net, I am Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com. You're listening to Bama's Radio on the Alabama Sports Radio family. Good night and roll tide, everybody.